This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. This week on Case Closed, our hour begins with yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and his episode from November 26th, 1949, titled The Skull Canyon Mine. After that, it's The Wreck from 21st Precinct, their episode from August 25th, 1954. I knew when I went to the desert that anyone who plays around with cactus is liable to get stuck. But I didn't remember that another way of saying debt is going west. This is another in the adventures of America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, Johnny Dollar. At insurance investigation, Johnny Dollar is only an expert. At making out his expense account, He's an absolute genius. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Old Caledonia Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Oscar M. Wheaton, Chief Investment Counsel. The following is an accounting of my expenditures during my investigation of suspected skullduggery in the Skull Canyon mine. Or, uh, Mr. Bones, who was that lady I seen you with last night? Or, messing with a mule train is one good way to kick off. Expense account item one. 25 cents. Tip to busboy who brought telephone to my table at the Blue Danube restaurant, Robertson Boulevard, Los Angeles. Uh, where I happened to be uh, working on a case. Your call came right after the liver dumpling soup, taking me out of the soup plate and putting me in the soup. Now, this is the story, Dollar. You make notes and don't interrupt. Two years ago, this company made an investment in a bona fide working gold mine, the Skull Canyon Mine. That's just outside Twin Buttes, Arizona. I see. I said don't interrupt. That's just over the border from Nogales, Mexico. Now, up until three months ago, everything was fine. The profits shown by the mine were good. And then suddenly... Our returns dropped 50%. However, operating expenses, man hours, and so on remain the same, indicating there's been no fall-off in the removal of high SAR. Now, there's something wrong. We want you to go down there and find out what it is. Expense account? Item two. $12.80. I decided that since you'd invited yourself to the table, dinner at the Blue Danube was on you. Oh, in case you're interested in what you didn't have, it was uh, that liver dumpling soup, Veal paprikash, cherry strudel, and a small coffee. Enjoyed with that case I was working on. An eccentric millionaires who wanted to marry me for her money. She had yes, yes in her eyes, but when I told her I had to say goodnight immediately, she said, Oh, no. Expense account item three. $120. Burns Lee Flying Service. Charter plane to Twin Buttes, where I checked into the Waterfield Hotel called the mine, and told the girl who answered that I wanted transportation out there. She said she'd come after me. Having seen too many Western movies, I figured she'd arrive in a buckboard, but instead she picked me up in a jeep. Hey, slow down, will you? Before my teeth start falling out. Oh, sorry. I, um, forgot you were tenderfoot. That's not where I'm tender. Uh, By the way, Miss Moreland... How far is it out to the mine? 23 miles. Oh, no. Is the road like this all the way? Oh, no. About another half mile out of town, there isn't any road at all. Oh, 
Oh, if I ever live through this. From now on, I'm taking my bumps in the burlesque theater. Oh. Much better than walking, mister. Yeah. Say, uh, you said you're out here representing the owner. Uh, What's your job? Uh, well, I'm a, an efficiency expert. Oh. Uh, speaking of efficiency, what's your first name? Jackie. Oh, well, in that case, mine should be Gwendolyn. But it's not. It's Johnny. Well, let's not bother shaking hands on it, pal. Here comes the end of the road. Oh, 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 oh. The scenery was jumping around like a whole movie. My teeth were trying to find out how much abuse my uppers would take from my lowers. I felt like I was gradually being hammered down from a tall, thin man into a short, round one. And there I was, caught without my rhinestone-studded motorcycle belt. Well, here you are. Want me to help you out? Oh, very funny. (laughs) Get get lost, you little monster. I admit I look like a bag of bones, but I'm too young to die. Go on, I'll beat it. Oh, be a good dog now. Lie down, Nugget. Down. Yeah, Nugget, drop dead. This the mine office? This is it. Well, Dollar, welcome to Skull Canyon. I'm Doyle, the manager out here. I'd be happier to meet you if I met you in town. Mr. Dollar's in a foul mood, Jeff. That ride was a little too much for him. That ride would have been a little bit too much for Buffalo Bill. <laughs> well, that's how Jackie keeps that figure as trim as she does. Now, come on inside, Dollar. That's where the books are, and that's where the chairs are. With cushions, I hope. I'll see you guys. All right. Sit down. Thanks. Oh. Oh. Well, there you are. You'll find all the figures right in that big, fat book. Yeah. All but Jackie's. Well, I'm not in any hurry to do my arithmetic. Tell me, uh, what do you think of the results around here? You know more about it than I do. How are things going? Well, Dollar, I'll tell you. It was going better than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Just a few months back, we worked out a pay vein. I'm hoping we'll pick it up again any day now. That sounds reasonable. Any trouble? Help, equipment, working conditions? Well, working conditions could be a lot better, but that, that's a geographical problem. You see, the mine is located here in the big water supply is eight miles west. We haul the ore across the desert by mule train to the smelter. It's cheaper than trucks. We'd have to build a road for them. Out here, hay is cheaper than gasoline. Uh, you'd um, like to take a look at the mine? Frankly, Mr. Doyle, I'd just as soon climb up a chimney. I hate dark, confined spaces. But, since it's part of my job, I might as well get it over with. The entrance into the mine was through an adit, a horizontal shaft into the side of a hill. We rode in on the tail end of a small red dynamite car, drawn by a donkey junior grade, a burrow. It was cooler in there, but I started to sweat the minute we left sunlight and fresh air behind us. I could hear the jackhammers nibbling little gold ear bobs out of the quartz rock for the Christmas tree. Then I heard them stop, and Doyle told me why. Uh, sounds like they're about ready to blast. Oh, great. Oh, open your mouth and cover your eyes. A 
150 yards deeper into the earth, I was beginning to think that mankind is mighty hard to satisfy. The Lord gave us the world's whole surface, then we had to go and invent gold mines and airplanes. And right then, I'd have settled for an airplane. What's the matter, Dollar? You look a little green. Oh, feel a little green. Well, look, look, take some deep breaths and hold them as long as you can. Okay. Yeah, there, that'll perk you up. Well, this is it. Right here is the only face we're working. Ah, doesn't help. So this is it, huh? Well, let's see the rest of it. What? I told you, this is it. This is the only face we're working. Okay, you guys. Keep it moving. Hold that oar. Fill them up. Come on, bend your back. (laughs) Well, let's get out of here, Dollar. Okay, Doyle. I've seen what I came to see. And I also figured I had heard what I came to hear. Dinner that night I had with Doyle and Jackie, and the steak they served gave me a rough idea of what they did with their old burrows. Doyle's attitude gave me a rough idea that maybe he'd seen my eyes light up when I heard those jackhammers snorting away in some other part of the mine, just after he had told me that where we were standing was the only place being worked. After dinner, Doyle went back to the mine, leaving me alone with Jackie, which was better than dessert. Uh, by the way, Jackie, just what's your job out here? Oh, I'm just sort of a secretary and bookkeeper and chief driver. Uh-huh. How'd you happen to land here in Skull Canyon? Well, I took the job because I was going to marry the man who was the manager then, Doyle's old boss. I met him in college. He was a mining engineer. His name was Larry Hodges. Oh, what happened? I was left at the altar. When I got out here, he was gone. Guess he got stage fright and changed his mind. Anyway, nobody's heard from him since. Least of all me. Come on, I'll show you where you sleep. Nugget the dog was carrying on a long-distance conversation with his country cousins, the coyotes up in the hills. The air was soft and warm, and so was Jackie's arm. Stars hung low. And so did my spirits when she bid me good night after she introduced me to my roommate. Hiya, sonny. An old mule skinner named Kangaroo. I make yourself comfortable. Oh, by chance. Well, better than a sand bed and a saddle pillar. Uh, for a pine shack, this has a mighty fancy floor. What is it, mahogany? No, nope. tobacco juice. <coughs> helps keep out the sidewinders. What do you mean, helps? Little snake critters crawl in out of the hot sun to get cool. Where are you from, sonny? Uh, Hartford, Connecticut. Well, I'll be turned to. I don't reckon it shows through, but I'm an Easterner myself. I'm out from New York State 53 years ago. Little town of Prattville. How deceit it was. Mm, that's pretty dull. What'd you say? Oh, nothing. Say, uh, are you the one that handles the mules on the run out to the smelter? I'm one of them. Well, how's chances of hitching a ride with you in the morning? You'll have to get up early. All right, then. I'll get up early. Well, then stop wasting your breath on a lot of dang fool words. Use some on the kerosene lamp. Quick. Night. 
I lay awake, thinking about that jackhammer I'd heard working the supposedly inactive end of the Skull Canyon mine earlier that day. This didn't take too much pounding into my skull before I decided that Doyle was working on a vein for his own personal profit. I also knew that for him to convert the ore into gold, he had to get it to a smelter. So I figured that the mule skinner, Kangaroo, was the best place to start asking questions. Ah, it's funny how a sleepless night can sour the beauty of a desert sunrise. Get there. The sun's getting awful hot. Why, it ain't nothing, Sonny. Some days that old sun's got your tongue hanging out your fur. Gets a real nice tan. Uh, how do you stand it? Hey, what's that stomach pump doing way out here? Stomach pump? What in tarnation are you talking about? Oh, uh, that's a clever name for a light airplane. Hey, looks like he's getting ready to give us a buzz. Hey, hey, mules! Hey, you, Monroe! First thing I learned was if you ever want to panic a team of mules, just buzz them with an airplane. The second thing I learned was that little canyon we were approaching was loaded with armed horsemen who came galloping out like they were trying to make history at Tan Foran. The gunman didn't do anything to me except hold me at bay while the plane picked itself a landing and disgorged its one-man air force. Buenos dias, amigos. Why, you don't look happy to see me. Maybe my friends scared you with their guns, eh? Hey, old man, who is this new boy who rides with you today? His name's Dolly. Well, right now, I wish it was Hopalong Chastity. Well, let me introduce myself. They call me El Puerco. That's because I look like a fish. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm so greedy, too. I want what you got with you. Why, Galdrin, your miserable son beats high. Now, take it easy, old timer. It's okay. All I've got on me is a wristwatch and a few bucks. Let them have them. And besides, what's he going to do with a wagon load of unrefined gold ore? <laughs> you talk like a little boy. I know what you have with you. And I know where it is. It's under the seat. The little white bags. $30,000 of pure gold. 
In just a moment, we will return to the second act of Johnny Dollar. But first, hardly a clue to start on. And the witnesses' stories at hopeless variance. That was the job that the Birmingham, Alabama police faced in the murder called The Case of the Hue and Cry. Later tonight on Gangbusters, Birmingham's own police chief comes to CBS to tell you how they tracked down the apparently unmotivated murder. Be sure to hear this true-to-life police story, reenacted on Gangbusters. Gangbusters and the Adventures of Philip Marlowe are regular Saturday night features on most of these same CBS stations. Now, with our star, Charles Russell, we return to the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. So there I was, Johnny Dollar, efficiency expert. I had efficiently gotten myself in trouble. I was efficiently letting El Puerco walk off with a large pot of your gold and stood a good chance of efficiently getting myself shot in the belly. There we are, amigo. I feel better now the gold is in my little aeroplane. I hope you're not mad with me. You know, I need some money to pay my taxes. <laughs> okay, okay, you got what you wanted. Why don't you take off and get out of here? That ding gang rascal... He's probably figured on shooting us. Oh, no, old man. I'm a very scientific bandido. You think I want to shoot you and get killed myself for murder? Oh, no. I let you and yours do the dirty work. Hey, Manuel, Pedro, Juanito, Peter, adelante. This man and tie them Tie them to the stair back to back. And the rest of you tie up the mules in a circle around them, in nice and close. Then I will get them a little aeroplane and dive on the mules. And the mules will kick their heads off. <laughs> Pitching horseshoes may be fun, but not when they're being pitched at your head by a mule. Once we were tied back to back on a stake, the nearest available technical advisor, Kangaroo, was anything but encouraging. That's your trouble with a gold dirt mule. When they get riled up, they think with their feet. Here he comes. going, kangaroo. Now, listen, Sonny, I got me idea. Yeah, what is it? Well, go something like this. <laughs> hey! <laughs> oh! Just as the idea, whatever it was, hit kangaroo, a hoof from one of the mules scored a ringer around my cranium. Ah, the stars looked beautiful. They came out in the shape of a horseshoe. And as I slipped into that familiar Betty Bye for private eyes, the world of hit-on-the-head darkness... I could hear Kangaroo's advice, too little and too late. Uh, there, you see? You can never trust a mule. Never trust a mule. Never trust a mule. Never A long time later, the curtains of my eyelids went up on the next act. But something was wrong. 
The stage was still dark. The stars were still there, but not in a horseshoe pattern. I closed my eyes and dreamed some more. I was lying near an oasis in the Sahara Desert, and a beautiful maiden was bending over me, kissing me. She was breathing hard. She could have used some sense then. Huh? What? Nugget, get away from me, you mangy cur. Nugget, get away from me. Johnny, you frightened me. Huh? What? Jackie. What are you doing out here? Well, take it easy, pal. It's a darn good thing I am out here. You getting yourself kicked in the head. That's just say the wrong end of a horse got mixed up with the wrong end of a mule. Where's Kangaroo? Where are the mules? What's going on? Johnny, relax, relax. <laughs> kangaroo and the mules are on their way back to the mine. Oh, where's uh, Pancho Tortilla? Who? There was a Mexican bandit out here. The greatest piece of typecasting since the Gutenberg Bible. Oh, El Puerco. Yeah. Yeah, Kangaroo told me about him. Come on now. Try to get up. Come on. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, what happened to you? Your clothes are all torn. Yeah. This is Mr. Doyle's idea of a proposal of marriage. We were mm. supposed to fly off together to South America tonight. Been planning it for a long time. Well, what made you change your mind? Oh, you know how it is. Best laid plans with mice and men. Oh, yeah. You're talking to an expert. If everything went all right for me, where would I be next week? Same time, same station. But, but what's your angle? I told you before. I came out to Skull Canyon to marry a man. I've reason to believe that Doyle did away with him. To get his job so he could milk the mine. Well, I stayed on and acted just interested enough in Doyle to get him nice and relaxed, hoping he'd spill something. Well, so far all it's been is bragging up life in South America with him. Oh. Now, I, I hope you can help me. And I know I can help you. How? Well, Doyle set up a refining layout right in the mine. When the gold he's been stealing comes out, it's pure gold. Uh-huh. Then somebody in the mine must have tipped off El Puerco. Mm-hmm, Doyle did. Oh. He and El Puerco are working together. El Puerco's job was to get the gold across the border and you out of the way. I see. Well, listen, you ever been in the mine? I mean, could you show me the way the refining layout? Oh, no, no. Doyle's never let me inside. Well, how about the charts of the mine? They're in the safe. I've got the combination. If we can just get in without Doyle seeing me, I can get him. Now, leave that to me. Come on, let's get going. Wait a minute. How do we get back? Well, I came out in the jeep. Oh. Oh, my aching head. Uh, this is close enough, Star Eyes. We better pull up right here. All right. Nugget, quiet. Say, the wedding may be off, but it sounds like the reception is still on. No, that's the regular Saturday night square dance. Oh. Well, look, from here, which way is the office? I I'm lost. It's right over here. Oh. Come on, I'll show you. We were in it yesterday. When we rounded the corner of the office building, my heart was doing a dozy doe. The door of the safe was open, and so was the mouth of the fellow in front of us. But he wasn't saying anything. He was lying on the floor, dead. El Puerco, the pig. Well, what a spot for a big red apple. Johnny's dead. He must have come back for something. Kangaroo must have caught up with him. Uh, whoever caught up with him, caught up with him, but good. Come on, let's go take a look for Kangaroo. Kangaroo. <laughs> 
careful, darling. Door may be in there. Boy, tight spots really give that word darling a good workout, don't they? Okay, darling. Wait out here. I'll be careful. Uh, say, partner, have you seen Kangaroo around here? Kangaroo? Yeah. Well, sure. Kangaroo came in here uh, looking for Doyle. Well, did he find him? Well, uh, don't know. Doyle went over to the mine. Is that where Kangaroo went? Well, if I was looking for Doyle, that's where I'd go. Thank you, bottleneck. I don't know why I was in such a hurry heading straight into trouble. But the trouble started popping before we got to it. Jackie was only guessing, but I could only hope she wasn't guessing right. Johnny. Hmm? Johnny, I thought I saw somebody flashing just so far. Probably somebody's last spark of life. Now, take it easy. You stay right here. I'll move in from the side of the entrance. No, I don't... Oh. All right. Be careful. Oh. They sure got you good, partner. Okay, Jackie, you can relax. The right man got it, your play man. Mr. Doyle. Oh, Johnny. Oh, Johnny, it's awful. What a relief. Hey, kangaroo, you can come out now. Everything's all right. It's us, Jackie and Dollar. Anyway, uh, don't make a move. Uh, you should stop. Hey, what? What? The... Harry. Hey, wake up. Harry, you mean the guy you thought was dead? The guy you were supposed to marry? Yes. Your first interest was feeding your mules so that you didn't get mixed up in all that shooting. Yep. Poor. Well, I'll tell you. When three bad eggs like Hodges and Doyle and El Puerco get together double-crossing each other, they all got to wind up in the omelet. They're dead. Sure feels good to get your boots off. That uh, Larry feller thought he was pretty smart. Holding up in that mine with his own private smelter, using Doyle for a front. The only thing was, he didn't figure on Doyle falling in love with his woman. Yeah, who wouldn't? Say, hmm? for a young fella, you sure talk a lot. How about using some of that breath you're wasting on that kerosene lamp, huh? Quick! Right. <laughs> Expense account, item four, six dollars and ten cents. One quart snake bite medicine, 32 ounces of prevention in uh, case a snake should bite me. Item five, three dollars and forty cents, with which I purchased the nicest gift I could think of for a gal in Jackie Moreland's position. A telegram to you, requesting that you give her a job she very much deserved. 
the managership of the Skull Canyon Mine. You see, when she first found out that man she was going to marry didn't love her, she took out her affection on the territory, which makes me very sorry that I wasn't born in the state of Arizona. Uh, expense account item six, $164.35. Uh, transportation, Twin Buttes to Hartford. Uh, expense account total, $947.99. Which makes just about as much sense as you can make without making a dollar. Signed, yours, uh, no charge for that double talk. Uh, truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes and stars Charles Russell. Script by Paul Dudley and Gil Dowd. Featured in the cast were Doris Singleton, John Daner, Willard Waterman, Fred Howard, and Don Diamond. The special music is written and conducted by Leith Stevens. Your announcer is Paul Masterson. Be sure to be with us at the same time next week when another unusual expense account is handed in by... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Music Popular and Music Western are on the bill for CBS listeners again tonight. Vaughn Monroe and his band will present the five top tunes of the week, plus Army and Navy marching songs, Anchors Away, On Brave Old Army Team, and many others. Gene Autry follows right on the heels of Vaughn's caravan with favorites straight from the land of sagebrush and six-gun. For an hour of wonderful music, hear Vaughn Monroe's caravan and the Gene Autry Show tonight and every Saturday on most of these same CBS stations. Stay tuned now for Vaughn Monroe's caravan, which follows immediately on most of these stations. This is CBS, where yours truly, Johnny Dollar, meets adventure every Saturday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. First Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Oh, where's this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you need an ambulance there? Well, which car is involved and who's hurt? You are in the muster room at the oh, 21st Precinct, the nerve down. center. A call is coming through. You will follow the action taken pursuant to that call from this minute until the final report is written in the 124 room at the 21st Precinct. All right, there's an ambulance on the way. I heard the radio call. That's right. It's all taken care of. Okay, I'll make the notification. 21st Precinct. It's just lines on a map of the city of New York. Most of the 173,000 people wedged into the nine-tenths of a square mile between Fifth Avenue and the East River wouldn't know if you asked them that they lived or worked in the 21st. Whether they know it or not, the security of their homes, their persons, and their property is the job of the men of the 21st Precinct. The 21st, 160 patrolmen, 11 sergeants, and four lieutenants of whom I'm the boss. My name is Kennelly, Frank Kennelly. I'm captain in command of the 21st. I was working my night tour. 
When I came into the station house at 3.25 p.m., I signed the blotter and went directly into my office where I changed a uniform. Then I sat down at my desk to sift through the volume of reports and communications that had accumulated since I was last on duty nearly 24 hours earlier. At two minutes before four, I walked out into the muster room where I went behind the desk and turned out the platoon for the 4 to 12 tour. After the 63 men who would patrol the streets of the precinct on foot and in sector cars marched out the front door of the station house to take over their posts, I returned to my office for a conference with the precinct youth patrolman in regard to the problems he would face with the reopening of the schools a couple of weeks hence. He outlined his program for the fall, and I gave my approval to his plans. At 5.30 p.m., I went on patrol of the precinct in sector car number two with patrolman Paul Egan as operator and myself as recorder. During the course of this patrol, I had occasion to make a stop at a movie house on Lexington Avenue in regard to several complaints we had received. I found the manager in the back of the theater and spoke to him there while the newsreel was playing on the screen. Captain, believe me, I don't want the rowdies in here. I wish they wouldn't show up. Well, they're certainly beginning to scare your regular patrons away. You're telling me. Here, here's the, the part of the newsreel I was telling you about. A flat look from Paris. <laughs> how do you... How do you like those new styles? That's a scream, isn't it? Pencil figure, they call it. It's a shame there isn't more people here to enjoy it. Well, there'll be even more of them stay away, Mr. Sokin, if you can't keep the disturbances down in here. Well, what can I do? They seem like nice, clean kids when they buy their tickets at the box office. They get in here, they start making a lot of noise and disturbing the patrons. There's usually five or six of them in a lump. I got myself and one usher. I try to calm them down, but there's some odds we're against. Well, just call the station house, Mr. Sokin. We'll get them quiet or out or both. Well, that's something I'd like to avoid, Captain. You know, cops coming in here. That don't look good, a situation like that. Doesn't look very good now, does it? <laughs> you got a big point, Captain. Big point. I'll take your advice. Is, uh, is that cop looking for you? Oh, yes. Egan, here. Well, Captain, the call just came over. Alarm of a fire at 83rd Street and 1st Avenue. All right, Egan. Uh, keep in touch with us if you need us, Mr. Sokin. I will, Captain. I will. You can depend on it. I hope so. Well, I'll see you, Captain. See you. Okay, what's burning there, Egan? Do you know? The call didn't say, Captain. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, uh, was the call put out? Ambulance responding? No, sir. All right, we'll take a look. Yes, sir. Oh, get in, Captain. I'll go around. Right. I hope it's not a dwelling there. Well, if it's bad, they'll hit the second alarm. Okay, go ahead. You're clear. Cut over and go up first. There'll be less traffic. Yes, sir. This looks clear. Okay, take it. Watch it. Watch that car. Get out of the way. Hold on, Captain. Uh, oh. Ah, 4 9 
Egan. Egan. Officer, are you all right in there? Officer. Egan. Officer. Look, can you open that door, lady? This one's jammed. I'm trying to. I'll push from the inside and we'll, we'll try together. All right. All right. Together. It won't work. There it goes. Are you all right? Egan. Oh, oh my goodness. Hey, is anybody hurt? You all right? All right, you, you folks better stay back. Oh, oh, that poor man. All right, just, just stand back a little. You weren't driving that car, were you? No, no, he's in there. He's still sitting in there. Uh, how is he? I don't know. All right, stand back, folks. Is, is he going to be all right, do you think? Just, just give us a little room here, huh? I heard what he said. Come on, there. Give him a little room. Car 681 to Central. K. Car 681 at 78th Street and Lexington Avenue. We were struck by another car while responding to the alarm of a fire. K. The operator was injured and possibly the driver of the other car. K. Are you all right? You don't look so good. Oh, I'll be all right. You want to get out? Yeah, I'll, I'll get out. Just a second. Egan. Look, uh, will one of you people grab hold of my hand? I've, I've got to climb over it. Some of you men, help them. Don't stand there. Okay, lady. Come on, sir. I got you. Come on. Easy. Easy now. Uh, are you all right? Yeah, I'm okay. But you're sure now. I'm all right. Egan. Oh, my goodness. Can I do something for him? What can I do? Well, the ambulance will be here right away. You better just let him stay there. Such a nice-looking young man. If he comes around, will you let me know? I want to talk to the driver of the other oh, car. Oh, yeah. But you're sure you're all right. Now, you don't look so good. Yes, I'm all right. Are you hurt? No, I... I don't think so. I'm just a little bit shaken up, that's all. I think... What's your name? Creedy. Joseph L. Creedy. Where do you live? 33 West 79th Street. You're supposed to pull over when you hear a siren. What? You're supposed to pull over and stop when you hear a siren. I didn't hear it. I, I'm sorry. Well, you were right on top of it. I, I didn't hear it. Didn't you see the police car making the turn? Yes, I saw it, but it was too late. I, I, I tried to stop. It was just too late. Is, is the other policeman hurt? It looks like he's hurt, yes. Oh, that's too bad. That's that's very bad. There's an ambulance on the way. Were you heading home? Yes, about 11 years. I asked you if you were heading home. Oh, I'm sorry. I misunderstood you. I thought you asked it. I've been driving long. No, I, I, was, I was going to pick up a friend of mine. We were uh, going out to dinner. Oh. She lives on East 66th Street. Have you had anything to drink, Mr. Creedy? Oh, no, I haven't had a thing to drink. Nothing. I, I, I don't drink much. All right, you stay right here. What'd you say, sir? I said you stay right here. Stay in your car. Yes, all right. I, I hope he's not hurt bad. Uh, so do I. Well, there, there's some more policemen. Yes, I know. I'm sorry. I, I'm really awfully sorry. All right, all right. You just sit here. Yes, I will. Captain. Captain, are you all right? Yes, Mercado, I think so. The ambulance is on the way. Egan is hurt. Sergeant, did you take a look at Egan? Okay. I think he's hurt pretty bad. 
Must have hit up against the wheel. What happened, sir? Well, we were responding to the alarm of a fire siren open. Egan was making a turn into this street. This fellow didn't stop. He hit us broadside and knocked us against the light pole. Are you sure you're all right? Yeah, yeah. I got a little bump on the head, but uh, I don't think it's anything. Well, what is he, drunk or something? Uh, he claims he hasn't had a thing to drink. He was on his way to pick up a friend. Claims he didn't hear the siren. His car's a mess. He's not hurt, is he? No. I, are you sure you're all right, Captain? I'm okay. Let's go over there. Yes, sir. Boy, it'll be a long time before this car's back in service. All right, come on. Let's through there, will you? Let's through. Let's move. There's nothing to see here. Give him a little air, huh? Did he come around, Sergeant? No, sir, he didn't. All right, move along. Are you all right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Mercado, would you reach in there and get my cap for me? Yes, sir. Egan. Egan. Here you are, Captain. Thanks. Mercado, get those people back on the sidewalk. Yes, sir. All right, folks. Come on, let's go. Let's get back. Let's get the man a little air. He just rammed into us. If he didn't hear us, he should have seen us. Egan's not breathing very heavy. No. But he's breathing. Would you go to the call box there, Sergeant? Yes, sir. Ring the desk officer and tell him what we've got. Yes, sir. Right away, Captain. Mercado. Yes, sir. Get ready to give him a hand. Right, sir. Hey, do you think he's going to be all right? Yes, I hope so. So do I. But he doesn't look very good to me. Not very good at all. Now, look, you better stand back up on the sidewalk, oh, lady. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize. Yeah, just, just stand up. All right, all right. Come on, now. Let's have a little room in there. Little room. All right. All right, open up right there, huh? Hello, Captain. Hello, Doctor. Well, let's have a look at him. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. What's it look like, Doctor? It's hard to tell a thing here. All right, let's put him on. You want me to get him on his feet? Let's take him out head first, all right? Or however you want it. You. You grab his feet as he comes out. Yes, sir. Okay, I'll do that. All right, officer. Easy with him now. Easy. I've, I've got him. Easy now. Up. Up. I get his feet. Don't let him fall. Okay, Doc. Okay, I got him. All right, put him on. Put him on now. That's it. Easy. All right, now. Up into the ambulance, huh? Come on. I got this end. Okay. Grab that end down there, will you? That's it. Easy with him. Doctor, uh, I want you to take a look at the driver of the other car. There? Yeah, he says he's all right. I'll look at him. Come on, easy there. Take Thanks, it. Doctor. I rang it, Captain. Good, sir. Uh, excuse me, Captain. Yes? You want the other driver to go to the hospital? Well, if you think he should. All right, I'll have a look at him. What do you say about Egan? He can't tell a thing yet. Oh? Did you tell the desk officer what we've got? Yes, sir. And he told me something, too. What? The fire you were responding to, Captain. Yeah? It was a false alarm. You are listening to 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way police work in the world's largest city. You have a horrible feeling that something is wrong when the radio goes dead. You turn on the television set. Nothing there, either. You walk out on the street to look for your newspaper, but it isn't on your porch, your front lawn. No place. And then you notice the silence all around you. No voices, not a one. The theater lights are off. The public auditorium is boarded up. You're frightened. You don't know what's wrong. I'll tell you what's wrong. You've just found out what it would be like to live under a system of government that controls the freedom of speech. There are such systems in the world today. But a group of men 
took care that it wouldn't happen to you. They did their work 165 years ago, when they wrote the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. In the first article of those ten original amendments, they said, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech or of the press. Those men, men like Franklin and Jefferson, made it official, made it a law. Every time we have our say in public or in private, we're exercising that law. And exercise is good. If someone else doesn't like what we say, he's entitled to his own opinion, and he's entitled to voice it just as loudly and clearly as he wants. That's guaranteed by our Constitution, by our Bill of Rights. Freedom of speech. It's one of our freedoms. Now back to 21st Precinct and Captain Kennelly. In any calendar year, there are more than 78,000 fire alarms in the city of New York. The essential factors in fighting a fire are promptness of discovery and the speed with which firemen arrive on the scene. To each of these alarms, no less than four pieces of fire department apparatus and two police cars respond with the required speed. But speed has its hazards. As many or more firemen and police officers are killed and injured while responding to alarms as in the course of the fires themselves. An accident while responding to a fire is bad enough. While making a run to a false alarm, it's more than tragic. And during the last year, there were 13,981 false alarms in the city of New York. After a determination was made by the ambulance surgeon that the driver of the car which collided with our automobile was not injured, the ambulance left for Bellevue with patrolman Paul Egan. I remained on the scene until detectives arrived from the 21st Squad and the Manhattan East Homicide Squad, which sends specialists to make technical investigations in all serious motor vehicular accidents. Sector car number four came by for me and took me back to the station house. There, Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer, reported that he had been in touch with Bellevue Hospital in regard to the condition of patrolman Egan. The officer had not yet regained consciousness and at 6.20 p.m. was still in the x-ray room. I went out for a meal and when I returned at 10 minutes after 7, I went directly upstairs to the 21st Detective Squad where Joseph L. Creedy, the driver of the other car, had been brought for questioning by Lieutenant Matt King, the squad commander. Is Lieutenant King in his office? Yes, sir. He's in there, Captain. 21st Squad. He's out on investigation. Call back the yes. now. Captain Kennelly. Come in, Captain. Hello, Matt. Captain. Mercado. Captain. Captain, you know Mr. Creedy. Oh, yes, yes. How's the policeman, Captain? Did you hear anything? Well, he's still unconscious. Oh, you don't know how bad I feel about this. We all feel bad, Mr. Creedy. Yes. What's your occupation, Mr. Creedy? What'd you say? What do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a, a salesman. What do you sell? Light metal extrusions. What's that? Well, it's parts used by manufacturers in making almost anything, usually aluminum or aluminum alloy. Instead of molding the metal, an extrusion is made by pushing a heated bar through a die. Comes out whatever shape is desired. You know, it's something like your wife does when she, when she makes cookies. Same principle. Is it a New York firm you work for? Oh, no, it's Chicago. I represent them in the middle Atlantic states. That's my territory. You uh, travel a lot? Sir? I asked you if you traveled a lot. Oh, yes, all through my territory. I'm in the New York metropolitan area one week, out in my territory the next. Ever had an accident before? No, nothing serious. I banged up a fender once or twice, getting in and out of tight parking spaces. But nothing where anyone was hurt. I, I drive about 40,000 miles a year, too. I, I travel in my car. Ever been arrested for a traffic offense, Mr. Creedy? Uh, not in New York. Where have you been arrested? Uh, I was given a ticket in Connecticut in... Uh, 
Ridgefield uh, once for passing a stopped school bus. I, I thought it had started up again. When was that, recently? $25. I asked when it was, Mr. Creedy. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you asked how much I was fined. Uh, it was three years ago, about. And that's the only time you were arrested on a traffic offense? I wasn't even arrested then. He just gave me a ticket to the state trooper. You ever arrested on any other occasion for any other offense? No. Never? Never in my life. Not even for another traffic offense? No, that was the only time. Did you see the police car before you hit it, Mr. Creedy? Yes, I saw it, but it was too late to stop. I, I tried to, but it, it was too late. Now, Captain, you were proceeding on Lexington Avenue with a siren wide open, is that right? Yes, it had been open for about two blocks. Didn't you hear the siren, Mr. Creedy? Is that why you failed to pull over and give him the right of way? I didn't hear the siren. You're aware that it's the law that you must pull to the right, stop, and give an emergency vehicle the right of way. Absolutely. Why didn't you do it this time? I didn't hear the siren. Mr. Creedy, a siren is designed to be heard by everyone. I didn't hear it. It's no excuse, you know. I'm not looking for any excuse, Lieutenant. Mr. Creedy, are you hard of hearing? No. You are, aren't you? What gives you that idea? I don't see how anyone could not hear the siren that close to it. Have you ever had any trouble with your ears, Mr. Creedy? You've missed a lot of questions that have been asked you. Yeah, I have some trouble uh, sometimes. How were you able to get an operator's license? Well, I had the license before I had any trouble. I just kept on getting renewals. Aren't you aware of the fact that the renewal application inquires if you have any trouble hearing, any new physical disability? Yes, I'm aware of it. You failed to tell the truth when you filed your renewal application, is that right? I hear all right. M most of the time, it's just, just on occasion that I have any trouble or I, or I miss something. It was a pretty big occasion when you missed hearing that siren, wasn't it, Mr. Creedy? Yes, I, I suppose it was. You don't have to suppose, Mr. Creedy. Were you talking to me, sir? <sighs> no, Mr. Creedy. I'm going down to the hospital, man. I'll walk out with you, Captain. Okay, man. I hope he comes out of it all right. If I were you, Mr. Creedy, I'd not only hope, I'd pray that he does. Well, are you almost finished with him, man? Yeah, I'm going to have Mercado book him right away. The man really bought himself some trouble, didn't he? Well, I don't feel sorry for him. He's physically incapable of driving a car. He shouldn't be driving one without wearing a hearing aid. Yes, sir, you're right. How do you feel? Oh, all right. You were lucky to come out of it okay. <laughs> little bump on the head, that's all. Does it bother you? Oh, I had a headache when I got back to the station house. I took a couple of aspirin. Maybe you ought to have it looked at, Captain. No, it's okay. Yes. You going down to the hospital? Yeah, right now. I want to be back by 10. The borough chief said he might visit the precinct tonight. If there's any change in Egan's condition, will you call me direct, Captain? Yeah, Matt. I sure will. I went downstairs to the muster room where Lieutenant Gorman, the desk officer, told me that the 34th precinct in which Patrolman Egan resided had been unable to reach his wife to notify her of the accident. A babysitter told the notifying officer that she had gone to the home of a friend in the Bronx and was not expected home until shortly before midnight. The babysitter gave the notifying patrolman the address of the friend and the 44th precinct was asked to make the notification. Sector car number three came by the house to drive me to Bellevue. Ordinarily, when a police officer is injured on the job, the commanding officer is required to make a complete investigation of the facts involved to determine if the injury was in the line of duty. 
In this case, I was aware of the facts of my own knowledge, and I entered them into the blotter. At the hospital, it was my intention to see the injured member of my command to make sure he got proper care and to wait for his wife. Patrolman Meister drove the RMP car into the hospital grounds at 30th Street and Franklin D. Roosevelt Drive. He parked the car adjacent to K Building, and I instructed him to wait. I walked into the emergency ward in I Building and through the corridor where I saw Sergeant Waters waiting. Sergeant? Oh, hello, Captain. How's Egan? Did you hear? Yes, sir. The district surgeon is here. He told me he saw the x-ray pictures. He's got three broken ribs from where he hit the steering wheel. Oh, what about his head? It's a bad cut. No fracture. Possible concussion. That's why he hasn't come around yet, the way I understand it. What are you doing down here? Well, I was over at the division, officer. I thought I'd check on Egan as long as I was nearby. Good. Well, get rolling as soon as you can. Yes, sir. How do you feel? All right. A little headache before, but I took a couple of aspirin. Feeling all right now? Yeah, I'm all right. Why? I was just wondering. Uh, the district sur surgeon wanted to see you when you got here. He asked me to tell you. Oh, I want to see him, too. Where is he? Down there in the office, you know. Yeah. Oh, uh, Sergeant, would you go out to the car and tell Meister to come in and wait around for Mrs. Egan? I don't want to miss her. Yes, sir. I'll tell him. It's uh, that little office there, isn't it? Yes, sir. All right. Uh, right past the light there. All right. Yes? Captain Kennelly. Come in. Hello, Doctor. Oh, Captain. How's Egan doing? He'll be all right, I think. He's beginning to stir around some. That's good. Three fractured ribs. The head injury is a possible concussion, but I think he'll be okay. Sit down. Well, uh, I don't want to miss Egan's wife, Doctor. You won't miss her. Sit down. Well, all right. How do you feel? All right. Pretty good. Which? All right or pretty good? All right. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see that bump on your head. Oh, it's nothing. No, then it won't hurt to look, will it? Watch it. Oh, tender, huh? Yeah, a little bit. Mm. Well, it's not bad. Oh. Wait a minute. What's that for? Nothing. I just want to shine this flashlight in your eye. Uh, look over my right shoulder. And keep looking there even after I take the light away, okay? Why? Captain, do I tell you how to catch a thief? <sighs> okay. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. What's the matter? Nothing. Now, let's try the other eye. What are you looking for? Just look over my left shoulder. All right. Go ahead. Okay. Stand up. Well, what's the idea? Well, we've got to wait anyway, don't we? Come on, stand up, Captain. All right. <laughs> All right, put both hands out in front of your palms down. That's it. Now, spread your fingers. Turn your hands over. Palms up. That's it. All right, now back. What are you looking for? You can't find anything until you look, can you? No. All right. Put your feet together. Uh, toes together, too. All right, now your hands down at your sides. Close your eyes. That's it. Now hold it there for a second. Hold it there. All right, you can look now. It's just a little bump on the head. Yeah. Sit down, Frank. 
Look, I'm all right. I know. Cross your left leg over your right. That's it. What are you doing? Testing my reflexes? Something like that. Ah, you see, I've still got a lot of bounce. But you don't know whether it's good or bad, do you? Uh, cross your legs the other way. That's it. I'm okay. There's nothing wrong with me. Okay, now open your mouth and very deeply breathe in and out until I tell you to stop. Now look, doctor. Go ahead. Okay. Feel a little dizzy? No, not at all. Hmm. You should. Excuse me. Hello? Yes? Yes, I see. Yeah, all right. I'll be right back there. Yeah, in a minute. Well, Egan has regained consciousness. Oh, good. Come on. Then you uh, think he'd be all right? Oh, sure. Your uh, headache's gone away? Well, I uh, took a couple of aspirin. Mm-hmm. Uh, that way, Captain. Captain. Yes, Sergeant. I've got eyes on waiting down at the main desk for Mrs. Egan. Good. He regained consciousness. Oh, is he going to be all right, Doctor? I think he'll be fine. Uh, this way. Yes, you can't be too careful with these cases, can you? That's the point, Captain. We've got to be. Oh, uh, did they say he was talking? Oh, yeah. A blue streak. And he's hungry. Well, that's a good sign. Usually. Yeah, this will be good news for his wife. It sure will, Sergeant. How many children does he have, Sergeant? You know? Two, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, where'd his wife have to come from? Well, they live in Washington Heights. But she was visiting in the Bronx. She was notified there at a friend's house. Mm. That can be an awfully long trip downtown when you hear your husband's been hurt. Yes, it sure can. Oh, doctor. Yeah? Don't they have Egan down there, down that corridor? Yes, but I'm not going there yet. I want to get some x-rays of that thing the captain carries around on his shoulders. Well, I'm all right. What are you talking about? I'm a skeptic, Captain. Sergeant, notify the desk officer that the captain is temporarily out of service. 21st Precinct, Sergeant Waters. Wait a minute, just a second. Burglar's where? Yeah. Yeah? Well, what is that, an apartment house? Well, did you see them? What? Yeah, all right. Well, don't worry about that. We'll take care of it. No, you stay right there. 21st Precinct, a factual account of the way the police work in the world's largest city, is presented with the official cooperation of the Patrolman's Benevolent Association, an organization of more than 20,000 members of the police department, City of New York. Everett Sloan in the role of Captain Kennelly, Ken Lynch as Lieutenant King. Featured in tonight's cast were Anne-Marie Geyer, Harold Stone, Louis Nye, Frank Marth, and Ralph Camargo. Written by Stanley Niss and directed by Howard G. Barnes. Produced for CBS Radio by John Ives. Art Hanna speaking. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
That's it for Case Closed. This week, you can find more from Johnny Dollar, 21st Precinct, Case Closed, and everything else Relic Radio at the website, relicradio.com. You'll find our Shoutcast stream there and our donate button if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's how this show keeps coming to you every week. It's how all of them keep coming. Thanks to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Talk to you again next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed. Case Closed.